0: Swedish adventurer Aaron Anderson is halfway through the Wings for Life world run. It starts at the same time all over the world. Aaron was in the Dubai desert, ready to go in his wheelchair, and it's pushing 46
1: degrees. And I felt cooked. Like I was so warm. I was so warm. I never ever thought I would be able to win this race.
0: The bit of the track he's on is hilly, which poses a particular challenge for him.
1: Going uphill is just so slow with the wheelchair and like you gain a little bit of speed going downhill again, but you never you never pick up this distance you lose.
0: Aaron's not even in a racing wheelchair, just a standard everyday one he's been going for 80k.
1: I started getting reports, okay, I'm, I'm like third, second, something like that, like I need to pick it up.
0: His arms and lungs are burning, his body is dehydrated, but he goes faster and he hits 90 kilometers.
1: Not giving up before I'm, I'm done. Not giving up before I'm completely empty of energy. Not giving up before I've done my best.
0: Rob Pope and from Red Bull this is How To Be Superhuman Series 2 and in this episode I'm talking to Aaron Anderson an endurance athlete and former Paralympian and a man who sees opportunities where others may see limits he's competed in four Paralympic Games in three different sports swum from Sweden to Finland climbed Kilimanjaro skied to the South Pole and in 2017 he won an unusual race called the Wings for Life World Run. Now it's unusual in the fact that it takes place all over the world starting at the same time and there's no set finish line, the aim is to go as far as you can. Now Adam wasn't a particularly adventurous kid growing up, he played footy with his friends and climbed trees, but that's about it. And then something happened that changed his life and would eventually lead him to the world of crazy endurance sports. When he was only seven years old, Aaron was diagnosed with bone cancer in his lower back. Uh,
1: About a week... After my first diagnosis, I, I had my eighth birthday and I celebrated my birthday by, by having chemotherapy, you know, so it was a, it was a really tough time. It was a really, really hard. I just, you know, hated everything about it because the treatments were so harsh and and having to go to the hospital as, as much as I had and not being able to be with my friends in school and missing out on a lot of things. I really hated that part. But at the same time, I, 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 I kind of knew that I had to do this. Otherwise, I would never get healthy.
0: Aaron spent a lot of time in hospital over the next year, doing some serious chemotherapy. But the tumour wasn't going away.
1: Eventually, the doctors realised that, hey, we, we, need to, we need to remove the tumour.
0: That meant Aaron had to have surgery on his lower back
1: that surgery meant also cutting a lot of nerves, going to my legs.
0: After the operation, Aaron wasn't allowed to sit down for a whole year. He couldn't put pressure on his bottom, so he slept on his front and moved around using crutches. But he couldn't do much more than move from A to B on them. Aaron was scared.
1: I mean, I'd seen people at the hospital and kids in the wheelchairs, and to me, they, they seemed really strange, really, I mean, disabled, handicapped, you know, something that I didn't want to be. So I was, I was really, really afraid of that.
0: Like any kid, he just wanted to play with his friends, and now he felt like he was missing out on sport.
1: Early on, I realized that, hey, football is not really going to work anymore. Like, I mean, I, I can't really use my legs in that way, but when I got my first wheelchair then I kind of realized that I can start doing sports again. Like the world kind of opened up again.
0: Aaron discovered that rather than weighing him down using a wheelchair was going to be his way out. So he went back to mucking around with his mates and going to school. Then, a little later, as a teenager, he came across the Paralympics on TV and he got obsessed. Watching the games he realized for the first time that he could play professional sports at a top level.
1: So I got into, you know, athletics. I did sledge hockey, I played table tennis, I did floorball, I did, you know, pretty much anything like sailing, and I really really enjoyed it, and that was kind of my rehab or, or my kind of way back to life after all of this.
0: Sport was the thing that got Aaron up in the mornings. He trained hard. Across different disciplines, and he went from watching the Paralympics to competing in them. His first was in 2004 in Athens, where he was a reserve on the Swedish sailing team. He continued on to compete in three other games across three different sports. His favourite was track racing. In 2012, Adam was qualifying for the Paralympics in London when he felt a burning pain in his hip. It was so painful. He couldn't sleep at night. His qualifying trials ended up in hip replacement surgery. And that was bad, bad news for his track career.
1: Like after that, I was freaking depressed. I was like, what am I supposed to do now? Because I couldn't go back to, to Paralympic sports because in the racing wheelchair, you're leaning forward, forward with your chest on top of your legs. And I, I can't do that move anymore Like, because my movement in my hip is really restricted after the surgery. So I'm like, what do I do now?
0: In a racing wheelchair, you've really got to lean forward to go fast. After the hip replacement, Aaron couldn't do that anymore. He went home, and a couple of months after the surgery, he's struggling. He's 25, he's single, and he's not doing his favourite thing, sport. But one day, he goes for a coffee with a friend, Johan, an adventurer who's been to Everest and both the North and... And
1: South Poles. And we're sitting there chatting and he kind of out of nowhere, he says, man, hey, let's go climb Kevenikhaise, the highest mountain of Sweden. And my reaction is like, dude, have you seen this thing that I'm sitting in? And he's like, ah, we'll figure it out. We'll find, we'll find a way to do it, right? And I, and I said no, because I've never done an adventure. Like, I've never climbed a mountain. Nobody in a wheelchair had climbed this mountain before. It's like... If, Come on, man, what are you thinking?
0: To his friend, Aaron immediately dismisses it as a harebrained scheme. Sweden's highest mountain, in a wheelchair. Ridiculous. But when he goes home, he catches himself thinking about the idea. Like, could he become the first wheelchair user to climb Sweden's highest peak?
1: I thought there would be a big, big risk that I would fail, like we wouldn't do it. And I, and kind of the worst case scenario in my book would be like, you know, falling and then breaking an arm or something.
0: Breaking an arm for Aaron would be a big deal. He mostly relies on his two strong arms to get around. One arm less for a while, far from ideal. So he says no to his friend and to the adventure. But Johan keeps harassing him, saying... Come on man, you can do this.
1: At some point I feel like okay let's just try right, let's do it. Aaron agreed,
0: partly because he wanted his friend to stop bugging him, partly because he wanted to see if he could actually get to the top. But Aaron didn't really know how to prepare for such a thing, he'd never climbed before and how do you train to do that in a wheelchair? he decided to walk around his parents' summer house with crutches for a while. But obviously, that wasn't enough.
1: So about three months later, we're at the foot of the mountain and we start this climb. And I mean, obviously, it's not very handicap accessible. The wheelchair works for about 50 meters. And after that, I, I use crutches. I, 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 I kind of crawl and pull myself up on my arms. Like it's a, it's a really slow process.
0: Crawling and pulling himself, dragging himself up that mountain. But soon, Aaron could feel himself hitting a wall.
1: Like the first day, we walked for about six hours. We barely made any progress, and I was just so tired. But Aaron pushes through,
0: meter by meter.
1: Finally, kind of on the third day, we've been walking for maybe five hours and I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm so tired. I, I, I'm hurting everywhere. He's
0: about to give up the whole endurance adventure malarkey. Maybe it's just not for him. But he decides to give it one more go. He doesn't have to get to the end. But he has to try.
1: And the kind of only way for, for me to keep going is to, you know, just focus pretty much on the next rock. I, I would set myself a target of a, of a rock 100 meters ahead, and I would just tell myself, I'm only going to go there, and then we're calling the helicopter, and we're getting out of here.
0: What was your motivation to keep on going beyond that 100 meters, beyond that rock, and, you know, down from the summit? Was it to prove to your friend, to 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 people around you, or, like, do you think you still had something to prove to yourself? Yeah, I think it was
1: about proving it to myself. I never really done things to prove it to others. Hasn't been my interest. I've been more trying to prove things to myself. To just kind of see what's possible for me. Like, what can I achieve? Like, what, what can I do, right? So, rock by rock,
0: Aaron keeps climbing through the agony.
1: I've gone through a lot of pain, like I'm good at taking pain, and I think that's something that I learned in my childhood going through cancer.
0: Most endurance athletes are pretty good with pain, you've got to be, and Aaron had had more than his fair share, and after three days of experiencing even more pain, he finally reached the summit.
1: Just sitting there on the top of this beautiful mountain, looking out at this magical mountain landscape. It was just wow. And I was also thinking back to like, hey, when I was nine years old, I had surgery for cancer. I ended up in a wheelchair. Today I'm sitting at the top of Sweden. And that kind of led me on to kind of the next thought that was like, okay, I wonder what else is possible.
0: What else is possible? He's conquered Sweden, and suddenly he's thinking, well, what else is out there? The Baltic Sea, for one. And he went on to swim 37 kilometres from Sweden to Finland in the ice-cold waters. Then he climbs Kilimanjaro. He was building quite the adventure resume.
1: Yeah, so... I started thinking, like, hey, what's, what's the biggest adventure I could do? Like, what's the most baddest thing I can do, you know, with my abilities? Like, what, what could be possible?
0: And that's when another friend said, by the way, I'm going to the South Pole soon, going to ski across Antarctica. And Aaron's like, well, I'm coming with you. All the way to the South Pole. It's one of the toughest expeditions out there. And for a wheelchair user... It poses a unique set of problems. So, they started planning. But pretty early on, Aaron encountered a big issue.
1: Because I needed to, to get a special sled that I can, I can sit in and, 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 and push myself forward with. And I needed to find a way to keep my feet warm, because I have a really bad circulation in my legs.
0: Frostbite was a real risk. Now it's bad enough if you lose a finger or a toe, but if his legs became affected, it could be fatal.
1: Also with my bottom right, how can I find a good cushion that would work in these temperatures? Because most kind of wheelchair cushions they would freeze, so they become rock solid in those temperatures. And there were a lot of those kind of tiny things I was looking into.
0: Sweden's cold, like, but it's not that cold. And Aaron needed to know that his specialist sporting gear. Would work at temperatures approaching minus 50 degrees Celsius.
1: At one point I went down to this company in the south of Sweden, and they have this big freezer, I guess. So we were in this kind of big freezer testing equipment, and I brought this ski ergonometer down there, and I was skiing inside this big freezer for like six hours testing gear and seeing what works, what doesn't, and Yeah, we were doing a lot of things like that just to test things and then prep.
0: You can do all the preparation you want, but nothing can really get you ready for weather at the South Pole. On a nice day, your breath will freeze. But coupled with a horizontal blizzard fueled by hurricane force winds, I think inhospitable doesn't really do it justice. And you've got very limited communication with the outside world. If you needed to be airlifted out of there and the conditions are bad... You could be waiting for days. In 2016, Aaron turned up at the edge of Antarctica, ready to ski for 260 kilometers till the South Pole. Now the South Pole is pretty much as you imagine it, flat and white and a few scientific huts. But the edge of the continent, their route started along a beautiful mountain range.
1: The thing with the snow in Antarctica, it's a desert. So it's so dry, like the snow is just so dry, which makes it—it's snow glide. Like I, I, I would, like in my sit ski, I sit with my legs in front of me and I sit kind of on, 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 the, on the chair pretty much that's attached to skis. And I, I would do one push with my poles and I would stop completely. And then I would do another one and I would stop and another one and I would stop. So I never be able to get some momentum. And to, to get momentum, like I can do that once in a while, I could do like a few quick pushes, but then I would be like exhausted and have to, have to you know, get some air again. And, and So I would do just one push at a time.
0: Each push only gets him 60 centimeters closer to his goal at a time. He's skiing on his specialist sled wheelchair using only his upper body. 10 hours a day. Exhausted. After a couple of days in the mountains, he reached a kind of flat plain.
1: But once we got up to the polar plateau, it's just white. And flat. Wherever you look, it's just white. And then on top of that, quite a few days, we had whiteouts. So when there's a bit of wind, the the, the snow picks up. And I mean, you barely see 10 meters in front of you. And wherever you look, it's white. It was here,
0: about a third of the way through the plateau, that on day six, Aaron got a stomach bug. It's every endurance athlete's worst nightmare. I remember five days in a Texas motel where I thought that the end was nigh for me and I could have just got a bus home. That wasn't the case for Darren. So we kept going.
1: And at one point after skiing for maybe 14, 15 days, I started to think like, hey, is this, like, I don't know if I can do this. Like my, my body's getting really weak. And I, like I, I'd eaten a lot before this trip to try to gain some, gain some, gain some weight, right? Put on some, on some fat. And I could feel I was starting to get really skinny again and I had a hard time eating and it was just really, really, really rough.
0: If you're losing calories because you're vomiting and you're not able to recoup them because you can't hold your food down, your body starts running on an empty tank. Each push of the skis felt like Sisyphus rolling that boulder up the hill. It was brutal. But Adam was determined to get there. And eventually... He was only 24 hours away
1: from the South Pole. The last night we slept in the tent, we could see the polar station, we can just just see it, the small little black dot. And I mean I was so happy going to bed that evening. We could see it, we can kind of taste the finish line and it was such a beautiful evening like it wasn't that cold maybe just minus 25 or something it was a <laughs> good good really really nice evening and like the both of us was just really happy approaching the the station and felt extremely good And that morning we would wake up and and I was just like I had a smile on my face the whole way skiing after
0: 21 days of skiing And one stomach bug later, Aaron finally made it. He became the person to go the furthest to the South Pole in a wheelchair. Aaron was exhausted, but he wanted to do even more, go even further. He was pretty good at getting to a finish line, but what if there was no finish line? Well... That's where the crazy race called the Wings for Life World Run comes in. It happens all over the world at a set time and about 150,000 people will compete each year. Some people are running in the night and some people under the midday sun. This is all to raise money for research into curing spinal cord injury. Now, that thing about the lack of finish line, how it works is the gun goes off. Half an hour later, a catcher car sets off after you with increasing speed and your aim is to stay ahead of the catcher car for as long as possible because when it catches you, you're done. Another interesting thing about this race is that runners and wheelchairs race together. Now, the sports wheelchairs are unusually used to racing. They are fast. They go 33 km per hour on average and obviously a runner doesn't stand a chance against them.
1: But in this race, it's day chairs, like standard wheelchairs against runners.
0: Now that is hard.
1: Adam put a lot
0: of thought into where he would race to try and maybe redress the balance a little bit more in his favour.
1: So I figured I need to find an advantage. Like what track is the best for me with the wheelchair? And like obviously in Dubai, the quality of the asphalt is just so good. So it rolls really, really well. So that's one thing. And also in Dubai, it tends to be a good sea breeze, like in the afternoon. And this course was going that way, so I would have the sea breeze in my back for for like 35 kilometers or something. So I figured that would be good as well, because that means I can go really fast. So good quality asphalt and good sea breeze. like That's two good components to this race. So yeah, that's why I picked the race in Dubai.
0: But the preparation in Sweden had been tricky. Practicing on an indoor racing track in a standard everyday wheelchair wasn't going to work. So we needed to practice on the roads. One particular problem in Sweden is that they put a load of this gravel down on the roads to basically give you grip in the winter and that doesn't come up till about April. That only gave Aaron a month of training. In 2017, He's at the start line in the desert in Dubai in 46 degree heat. Now, the difficult thing with Wings for Life World Run is figuring out what pace you need to be going at. Because, well, you're not trying to beat a personal best. You're just going until this car catches you. And you don't know how fast the other people are going to go either. So, do you go out hard to try and maybe create a gap? Or do you just pick a steady pace and hang on?
1: On competition day, I just kind of eyeballed it, or, or what do you want to call it, just, ah, just went for it. Okay, like this feels good, I'm gonna go this pace now, it feels really good. But I mean, you always have your ups and downs in a race like that. Sometimes you feel on top of the world, you feel like unstoppable, you feel so fast. But sometimes you're you're, you're kind of so tired and you have no energy and you just feel like quitting. And then five minutes later, you can feel great again.
0: Well, it was lucky that he was feeling great again. Because the first bit was going to be tough.
1: The worst thing was in the start. The first ten kilometers was in, on this motor race track, and it's, it's quite hilly. It goes up and down quite a bit. It's super warm. It's walls and stuff and there's this really black asphalt, and the wind is kind of standing, like the air is standing still. There, it's just so warm.
0: Adam was in third or fourth place in the Dubai race. He knew he had a chance of winning that, but. He was struggling,
1: and I felt cooked, like I was so warm, I was so warm, I never ever thought I would I would be able to, to win this race. So we come out onto this really, really, really long straight, it's like a 25 kilometer straight or something. And I come out there, I kind of shower myself with some water bottles trying to get my temperature down. And, and then I just, OK, I'm, I'm going to start going hard now to see, can I do this? And I, like within the next hour, I, I, will, I will know if I'll be able to, to go far today. And at that point, the wind started picking up. So I got a good tailwind, uh, like, as I said, like, the asphalt was really nice. And yeah, I just started picking up the pace.
0: Soon enough, he caught up with the lead run in Dubai. For the next 50 kilometers, he felt unstoppable. And he'd need to be, because from now on, the only people he'd be racing against were on different continents.
1: Then this course comes up into a bit that is like a little bit hilly out in the desert. And I was starting to lose pace again, and going uphill is just so slow with the wheelchair, and like You gain a little bit of speed going downhill again, but you never pick up the distance you lose. And then when I was at about 80k or 75k, I started getting reports. Okay, I'm I'm like third, second, something like that. Like, I need to pick it up. Aaron wasn't third or second in the Dubai race.
0: He was third or second worldwide. And he suddenly clicked. I could actually win the whole thing.
1: And... uh, somehow i found that last little extra bit of energy and and managed to to pick up the pace one last time
0: after five hours arms shot lungs burning totally dehydrated and i just want to emphasize again he's in a standard wheelchair i can't imagine how tough that would be how do you think you are able to push on because you you could have settled for the win in Dubai and that would have been fine, right? But you didn't.
1: Oh, (laughs) no, man, it's not fine. I need to do as much as I can, right? (laughs) And and, and in these these moments, I I usually think about, especially one of my friends, her name was Saga. She had a, a similar kind of cancer that I had in my lower back. And we became really good friends when she was going through treatments and going through chemo and all of that. And she didn't make it. She died 17 years old. She didn't get that second chance at life because I got the second chance at life. And when I'm in, in a lot of pain, when I'm, when I'm really struggling, if it's in a race or anywhere in life, I remind myself that I got a second chance and I, I want to do the most out of that second chance and doing that means not giving up before i'm i'm done not giving up before i'm completely empty of energy like not giving up before i've done my my best and i think we all know like what our best truly is cuz it's it's so easy to kind of fool yourself yeah. and say like hey yeah i did my best but no you didn't you had some more and and i think you know that like so yeah, it's, I, I I I I usually think about her and, and other kids that didn't get that second chance, and that that tend to give me that extra boost.
0: Unbelievable, man!
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's just really got this guy. <laughs> uh, Ooh, um. There's something about Alan's words there that really struck a chord with me, and now he truly knew what his best was. After 92.14 kilometers, Aaron won the entire Wings for Life world run. Number one out of 155,000 people worldwide. If you were able to speak to a seven-year-old you or another scared little boy or girl somewhere in hospital, what would you say to them?
1: Mm. I mean, to myself, I will say, everything will work out great. Like, you will have an amazing life. And to other kids, I will say, try to make the most of what you have now. Try to find the joy in the small things. Like, try to find the joy in the situation you have right now. Like, it's really hard to do, but I think you can do it. Because, I mean, a lot of people say, like, hey, never stop fighting, never give up. Yeah, of course you shouldn't do that, but I think the way to do that is to try to find the joy. Try to find the joy in the the small things because I mean even when going through chemo, even when going through really really hard stuff, you can still find those small tiny moments that will give you some joy, give you some inspiration, give you a little boost of energy. And I think that's such a key when you're going through hard things.
0: on next week's episode the final one of the series we've got something a little bit different for you we're speaking to Veronica Meyerhofer a mental performance specialist who helps top level athletes be the best they can be she's going to share some secrets that might just make you a little superhuman too Now in terms of you guys being superhuman, I want to shout out to John Stocker and Matt Blackburn, who in the Suffolk Backyard Ultra ran over 337 miles in 81 hours without sleep. I'm not even going to tell you who wins because I don't think there is a winner in something like that. Superhuman. Now, if you want to tell us about your superhuman exploits, please do get in touch and make sure you subscribe and leave us a good review. because. Everybody needs a little bit more superhuman in their lives. Cheers.